Welcome to War Stories. I'm Preston Stewart, and this is a show where we talk about America's military history through the lens of individual acts of heroism and valor. Enjoy. All right, today we have the story of Extortion 17. Extortion 17 is the call sign for an Army Chinook helicopter, CH 47. It's a big transport cargo helicopter, moves troops and items around the battlefield. And the reason we're going to talk about Extortion 17 is that on August 6, 2011, the helicopter was shot down over Afghanistan with 38 people on board, and all would be killed. That crew would include 31 American service members and seven Afghan commandos. In turn, this event would mark the single deadliest event for U.S. forces in the war in Afghanistan. So we're going to walk through the overall event. And then there's actually a little bit of, I was going to say controversy, but I think maybe conspiracy is the better way to say it. I'm going to dabble into that a little bit, but you're going to get my take throughout because I'm going to... uh, kind of tie in how some of these things would have happened. And I think in doing so is probably making my stance of, of how I believe this, this took shape. So on August 5th, the evening of August 5th, there were helicopters taking us army Rangers into a, or on a raid in Wardak province, Afghanistan. Wardak is a little Southwest of Kabul. And there was a Valley there Tangi Valley, I think is the name of it. I'm probably mispronouncing that. But there were some Taliban cells, certainly a Taliban leader in that area, that the army rangers were tasked with going to kill or capture. Going on these night raids was is a pretty common tactic throughout the conflict. For a long time, it was just, well, it's kind of, you know, the full spectrum here. For a long time, it was only U.S. forces going on these raids. Then there was a period of, U.S. and Afghan forces jointly going on these raids. And if I'm not mistaken now, there's a lot of Afghan-only raids um, that are still trying to serve this purpose of killing, capturing Taliban leadership all around the country. And there's pros and cons to it. I mean, it's, I would say on the pro side, it's psychologically devastating if you're on the receiving end of that thinking Think, you, you never know when it's going to come. So think every night you go to bed not knowing if you're going to be awoken at one in the morning to helicopters outside and, and men coming in to capture you. That's That would add to the stress level. Um, the other side of that, though, is rarely is, is the compound or the building of the village um, 100% uh, hostile Taliban fighters. So as terrifying as that would be if you're the target – what if you're not the target? What if it's your dad or your brother or your son? It it just, I, I think, and it's been debated. I'm not the first person to bring this up, but I think the the use of the nighttime raid has a lot of positives, but it, it it's not exclusively positive. You, you run the risk of, of maybe alienating uh, U.S. forces or Afghan forces or coalition forces as well um, in the minds of the people that are there. Whether or not there's any actual damage or casualties, just you, you don't want anybody kicking your door in at, at two in the morning, um, especially a stranger that doesn't speak your language from around the world, right? So nighttime raids, but it's, it's still a very heavily used tactic. And for parts of the Afghan, for parts of the war in Afghanistan, this was happening 
I mean, multiple times at night. So this, this is not like once a week, there's going to be a raid that happens. I mean, around the country, multiple per night. So again, let's look at the positive side of this. If you're a Taliban leader, it's, it's kind of telling you there's no safe time. When we get a drop on you, we're coming. That's the type of mission that's taking place on August 5th, 2011. So the Army Rangers, about a platoon's worth of Rangers, 40, 50-ish on the ground, are assaulting this building. Um, and as they near the building, people from within the building, I was going to say enemy fighters, but let's just go with people. Um, people disperse, which, sure, why not, right? There's people coming at, coming at your building with guns. It's not crazy for innocent or guilty to, to get off running out of there. And as they do so, there's assets overhead that are keeping an eye on this. There might be uh, unmanned aerial vehicles. You might have predators, reapers, shadows. You, you might have, there are helicopters. There might be uh, fixed wing support. And to, to a degree, they're kind of keeping an eye on it. But remember, everybody kind of looks the same or, you know, it's hard to tell who your a hostile fighter would be on the ground when they're just moving versus anything else. And the, the aircraft are trying to keep an eye on this. They're doing a good job, but it's a lot to, to keep tabs of. So they're watching these different groups, but they see this one group that kind of starts to, to pick up uh, uh, like a snowball effect a little bit. People are coming to that group to join it and, and move on. And it just, it looks like indications point to the target of the raid might be in this group. So he's not in the building anymore. Um, or at least they don't think so. So as the Rangers are continuing their clearance and arresting the people inside, maybe looking for information that they can exploit against this Taliban group, they the aerial assets think, hey, our guy might be over here. He might be in this area. Um, it's not right around the corner. It's not the next building over. It's a little ways away. So what the commander of the overall mission decides is, hey, rather than splitting this Ranger force that's on the scene, why don't we just tap into our quick reaction force, get them to interdict, pick up this Taliban leader, or, or at least we believe he's in this cell. Let's go do that. So to do that, he calls on this group that's at a nearby American base. The group is made up of Navy SEALs, and then they've got some attached uh, Air Force or some airmen from the um, 24th Special Tactics Squadron, so um, like combat controllers and JTACs. And they also have a group of Afghan commandos working with them. There's a dog handler, a military working dog, and that group is set aside for um, as a quick reaction force, however they might be utilized. It's a common thing in military operations to have somebody on standby. Um, there's variations of this. If it's if you're going into an area, let's say there's a company going into an operation and they 100% expect to be shot at, they just don't know when it's going to start. You might have your QRF or quick reaction force in vehicles, you know, fueled up loaded up with ammo, the soldiers have their gear on and the, the, the truck is running. They're literally waiting for the call to go. They know they're going to be needed. They just don't know when and don't know where. So you have that level of ready all the way down to there might be a base that has a platoon of 40 that is on quick reaction force duty for a week. And all it really means is they have to be ready to go inside of an hour. So it varies the quick reaction force, but there is almost always going to be somebody tasked with that job. The, the, the folks tasked with the job during this mission is going to be a SEAL Team Plus. We'll call it a SEAL Team Plus based out of a nearby um, base. And 
they need to fly in, land, and, and get after it. So the commanders looking at everything, identify this landing zone. They're going to use a different one than uh, than previous because why not? There's enemy on the ground. Uh, there's weapons all over the place. You don't want to, if you can avoid it, fly in and out of the same place. It gives away your uh, – they might be waiting on the landing zone that was previously used. So shift over, find another one. Now, this isn't the uh, flat plains of the Midwest United States. It's a mountainous region. It's hard to find landing zones. They're just not everywhere. There's a lot of possibilities, but you can't land anywhere in the province, Which so it kind of reduces your options, especially if you need to be near a certain building or near a certain person. So they find a location, but it's only going to be big enough for one Chinook to land in at a time. So the decision's made to kind of load up everybody into one Chinook rather than two. It's not crazy. Um, it's It's been done before. It's been done since. And and it's probably the safer move, right? Because you're the biggest risk here with incredibly experienced pilots in, in both of these aircraft, the, the bigger risk is going to be somebody watches the first aircraft come in and they depart. And then when the second one comes in, they're ready to engage. So let's not give the enemy that chance. Let's just have one insertion and get out of there. Um, less likely to run into trouble. So one of those aircraft is, um, is the call sign extortion one seven. They load up and depart the forward operating base at two twenty three in the morning on August 6th. It's a pretty quick trip to get to the new landing zone. They're there in about 10, 15 minutes. And one of the Chinooks peels off and, and goes into a bit of a holding pattern as extortion one seven comes in to land and offload, offload their troops. So as they're nearing the landing zone, it's, it's just like a car, just like anything else. It slows down and it gets lower to the ground. So it's coming in a little closer to treetop level, about a hundred to 150 feet. One of the reasons for that is, well, think if you're on the ground and you want to shoot a Chinook out of the air and they start at 5,000 feet and start slowly lowering down, you can just wait them out. Here it comes here, you know, um, so they end up dropping at treetop level, coming in low, still pretty fast for a ways until they near the landing zone. And then they slow down because they have to come to a complete stop. Just like a car, you don't want to slam on the brakes right away. So they're coming in lower over the treetops, which makes it a very challenging moving target if somebody were to try to shoot at them. But then as they near the landing zone, they slow down to stop. Now, usually when you have these insertions, there is some degree of air cover watching the landing zone. So it depends. It's all over the place. You might have unmanned aerial vehicles just watching to make sure that when you don't land and there's an enemy force in the ditch right next to you. Um, you're probably scanning around a little ways. Early in the war, they were looking for big anti-aircraft guns. That's not really the case in 2011, but you're looking for anything that might seem out of the ordinary. You don't want to land. You know, You don't want to come into a landing zone that you run the risk of getting shot at right away. So we have helicopters and fixed wing and drones in the sky. So we're watching to make sure nothing looks out of the ordinary. And, but they can't do that the full time because you remember these Taliban fighters split up all over the place and they're, the aircraft are tracking them in different locations. So there's not a set asset overwatching the LZ. I don't know if that would have mattered, but as the extortion one seven kind of starts to pull up coming into the new landing zone with this crew of 38 Taliban fighters step out from a building, 
which is why I don't know that it would have mattered if there was an Apache overhead. They might not have seen him. Taliban fighters step out from a building, fire two to three RPGs at the aircraft. One of them strikes home, tears off a big part of the Chinook, and the Chinook crashes, and all 38 on board are killed. So again, that 38 is 31 American service members. That's made up of Navy SEALs, Air Force Airmen, um, a crew from the U.S. Army, and then you have seven Afghan commandos and a U.S. military working dog. They crash. The crash is radioed up. Army Rangers make their way from the raid site down to, um, to secure the site. And there were additional pathfinders brought in to help with recovery. There wasn't, there wasn't a lot of recovery to be had, um, but they were able to, of course, recover all of the, all of the bodies and, and bring those home. But that would end up being the, the deadliest day, deadliest single event in the war in Afghanistan. So 31 Americans killed in that action. And, it's a sad day. It's a terrible day. The, the controversy, or maybe we'll go with conspiracy as the term that comes out of this, is that it was a SEAL team. It was a SEAL team out of their Naval Special Warfare Development Group, so also referred to as SEAL Team 6. This was one of the te- this was not the team, but it's the same unit that conducted the raid on bin Laden's compound a few months prior. And I think where the conspiracy came out of was um, that somehow it was related to that, like as payback. Um, and I, but I, I think what comes to mind for me is that how could this elite unit get knocked out of the air as though, you know, as though the fact that it was an elite unit made it a different helicopter to shoot at. Maybe that makes sense. I, what I want to get at here is it's hard to shoot a helicopter down. I don't believe that the Taliban could have been doing this for the last 20 years. And they just decided in 2011, like maybe we ought to get back to this practice of knocking Chinooks out of the air. They've done it in the past. um, But I don't think that's something that they weren't doing that they could do. But we talked about these raids happening often. It's not a secret that, you know, how helicopters land in the middle of the night is not some secret, especially when, when you see it all over your country over and over and over again. The size of Chinooks is not a secret. The shape of their outline at night, it might be night, but we all know it's not pitch black at night. And you can still see something, especially something the size of a Chinook. So it's not crazy that they could score a hit. It's unlikely, but it's, you know, I think I saw a statistic somewhere where they're talking about the gunners of RPGs and how likely they are to hit something. And, and once you got past 200 meters, it was like a 20% chance that people would even hit the target. So, okay, it's not a great chance, but that's not zero. There's still a chance it strikes home, and that's all it takes. So in, in this case, I, I I think it was it was a lucky shot. You take so many shots at helicopters, one of them is bound to hit, and they do take a crazy amount of shots at helicopters and fixed-wing jets, and, and at some point... I mean, the odds are in their favor that at some point one of them is going to land. And I think on August 6, 2011, that that shot landed. I mean, they missed with their other two, which is a little more 
uh, of the standard result. But I don't know that there's some conspiracy. I guess the conspiracy, I got to rambling, didn't talk about that. Conspiracy was that maybe it was a uh, reaction to getting bin Laden. And somehow the, the Afghan government tipped off the Taliban so they could do this. And I'm not even sure. I mean, if so, first off, again, there's only so many landing zones in any area. So if you just protect those landing zones, you're going to have a shot at a helicopter. That's well known across Afghanistan. And you can hear the helicopter coming from a ways away. But even if somebody told them, hey, that bird is going to land right here at this time, it still would be, take a crazy lucky shot to make that work. So I don't know that I would chalk that up to a conspiracy. I think I'd chalk it up to um, a lucky shot for the Taliban and and just a uh, incredibly bad luck for the crew and passengers of Extortion 17. So really a sad night for, um, for the United States and, and, of course, for the Afghans involved in the in the attack as well. There were seven on board. But a story of Extortion 17 shot down in Wardak Province, Afghanistan on August 6th. 2011. Hey, thanks for listening to War Stories. If you get a chance, it'd mean an awful lot if you could head over to Apple or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast and leave a review. It helps others to, to find the show. But thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.